0: to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine, and this time I am joined by Lebda's Legacy.
0: How's it going, everyone?
1: Lebna, how are you doing, buddy? It's been a while since our uh, our fans have gotten to hear from you.
0: Yeah, it's been a while. Work's uh, incredibly busy right now going into the holiday season, so that's basically the only reason for my absence, but uh, good to be back and good to be talking some Leafs, and boy, has it been a good time for your old uh, Leaf fans since we've last hopped on a pod here. I
1: don't know if they've even lost since you left. They've won four in a row. They're 16-6-1, six 33 points, tied for first in the NHL, also leading the division by two points over the Panthers, who have two games in hand. It is just a great time to be a Leaf fan. And that kind of brings me to what I want to open this podcast in. Do we think this team is for real? Do we feel different about this team going into the playoffs? They have they have looked outstanding they've been a defensive juggernaut and they're just racking up the wins but lebda i gotta say are you fully bought back in
0: yeah i think uh you know early on in the year when they had their struggles we still um we were worried obviously and concerned but i think you and me definitely still were like listen this team's still good let them figure it out wait a little bit let's be patient and you know it's kind of rewarding that take for us because this team looks really, really good. And let's be honest, I don't really see them slowing down too much. Sure, you know, maybe Jack Campbell doesn't play this way, but Austin Matthews is also shooting half of what he has shot over his career. So you think that's going to, you know, maybe not completely balance it out, but it'll, it'll you know, make up for it a little bit. So there's, there's really not a lot of reason for me to think that this Leafs team is, you know, any different or going to all of a sudden go on a big downturn because this is just like a – pure shooting percentage I Like I think this is what the Leafs are this is what I expected them to be they started the year off slow and that was very disappointing and frustrating but boy have they picked it up since then
1: yeah we said we were always confident in the regular season in this team and they have proven that to be absolutely correct and the way they're playing I'm not gonna say I'm bought in and I'm I'm confident we're gonna win a playoff series because that is what I'll believe when I'll see. Even even if the Leafs go into their first round series as as big of favorites as they were last year, I will I would probably lay some money on the other team just to just a happiness hedge. But even when the brain is telling me the Leafs will win, the heart, the heart will be aware, but As far as playing in the regular season, they are pretty much showing us everything that we've wanted to see. They're leading the league in expected goals. They're fifth in Corsi. They're second in scoring chances. And you made a good point. A lot of people will say, yeah, well, Jack Campbell is playing out of his mind and he can't keep this up. And to an extent, I think that's true. The Leafs basically have saved 13 goals below what was expected. So, if they were expected to give up 50 goals, they've only given up 37. So Jack Campbell has basically closed a gap and given the Leafs 13 fewer goals against than they should have allowed. But if you flip that coin on the other end, the Leafs have scored 16 and a half fewer goals than they should have based on expected goals. So if anything, they're actually four goals unlucky right now. And, and we've said before, you you might chalk that up to poor finishing, things like that. But part of that, like, they're not going to maintain that unlucky of a shooting streak, especially with a guy like Austin Matthews looking like he's rounding into form. He, I think, I think his low shooting percentage to start the year, you know, he was hovering around 10% where he's normally at about 16, 17. I think we're, we're already starting to with, with a goal in each of the last three games, but I think that is just going to continue to skyrocket and that's going to probably offset any decline we see from Jack Campbell
0: going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we, we kind of have said that too. Where Austin Matthews, like, he's still very good. The numbers are still there, but he's not shooting the way he has. He's starting to do it now, but I still expect that time where he's going to rip like, you know, ten, nine, ten goals in five games or something, just stupid like that, right? So that's coming. Also, you know, say what you will about him, but like Nick Ritchie hasn't scored a goal this year. I think for that, you know, sixteen goals, um underexpected expected for uh, the leaf shooting, I think Nick Ritchie almost accounts for three of that, if I remember correctly. Looking, looking earlier, so like that's not going to happen forever. Is Nick Ritchie also going to go and score forty this season? Absolutely not. But he's also not going to score zero. So there's lots of things that you know will offset maybe Toronto's goaltending being unsustainably high. You know, talk about Jack Campbell. Maybe this is Jack Campbell. Who knows? Maybe he's just having one of those Vesna type years. I certainly hope so. Um, Joseph Wall comes in, plays a couple games, and plays really, really well too. You know, maybe that's where you don't expect it as much, but then we also have Peter Mrazek coming in, and who, know, who knows what he does, right? Like, a lot of people have been frustrated with him, but he's really just been injured, and that's the only thing. So if you look at what Jack Campbell last year injured, lots of rest, came back, and absolutely killed it. There's, you know, I'm not going to say Peter Mrazek can, is going to do that, but he certainly could. So there's lots of things, uh, like, to me that just make this, you know, streak or the player and the position that the Leafs are in right now that it's just it doesn't look like it's going to change in my mind
1: no and I think a lot like Jack Campbell is undoubtedly playing extremely well like we said he has saved 12 goals above expected he's the I think he leads the league like he has been a Vesna caliber goalie this year but I think when you see the way that Joseph Wall has played after, like we said, not being impressive at all in the AHL over the last three years, the way that he's played with the Leafs, sure he's made some big saves, but I think you do have to credit that the Leafs are one of those teams that seems to probably give their goalies a lot of help in terms of save percentage. Jack Campbell last year even, he posted incredible raw statistics with an above 920 save percentage, but if you look, his, his goal saved above expected, did weren't that crazy impressive. He was only about eight goals saved above expected. And that basically goes to tell you that the Leafs are just playing so defensively solid. They're not giving up a ton of chances to the other team. So it, it's kind of inflating goalies' numbers to an extent. And it's it's exactly what we wanted to see because so many people questioned after last year, was it the North Division? Was this team for real? I think what, this te- what the Leafs are showing us right now is that Yes, they were a great team last year. They were a great team that undoubtedly choked for three games. They had three really bad games. They lost their first line center a few minutes into a big playoff series, and they absolutely got goalie by an elite goalie in Carey Price. But I think they're showing us that it wasn't a fluke last year. They are exactly the same team that they were. If not, maybe better because some of the guys we're going to talk about a little later. But they're just they're just showing us a, a really solid level so far
0: yeah i i think you hit the nail on the head there for whatever reason they definitely choked last year It was you know their easiest chance to make it past you know the first round and forever um it's gonna be a little bit more difficult but i also think the team's improved um like we kind of already said and explained this year and one area i definitely see a lot of improvement is the penalty kill uh currently they're sitting eighth um A big reason for that is definitely not having Fred Anderson just absolutely sewer the penalty kill like he did last year. Because I I don't know the exact, um, you know, positioning and stats on that. But I know I remember reading last year that this Leafs penalty kill was actually decent in terms of, like, preventing expected goals and preventing Corsi and stuff like that. They were just getting sewered by a terrible goalie. Um, so obviously, you know, not having Fred Anderson, having Jack Campbell in solidifying things on the penalty kill helps, but also some of the additions that Kyle Dubas made in the offseason. One of the big things people were really worried about is Zach Hyman's penalty killing. And I mean, with, uh, with David Kompf and Andre Kasha and even William Nylander taking a bigger role on the penalty kill, like we're, we're obviously not missing Hyman at all in that kind of, uh, kind of regard on the penalty kill.
1: No, and uh, we'll get into Hyman a little bit more later, but yeah, you made a great point. They were, they had some really good underlying numbers and I don't have the numbers in front of me anymore, but I remember talking on, on one of our previous podcasts post game that their numbers in terms of expected goals on the penalty kill shots allowed, all that stuff. They were top three as of a few games ago. I think they've gone through a bit of a slump lately that like, cause they dropped down to eighth, but it's been a huge area. You got David camp winning so many face-offs for them. They've looked aggressive. I think they do look better as skaters than last year. I think Dean Chin with the, the new uh, assistant coach, he ran a great penalty kill in Carolina and he just looks to have carried that into Toronto. So that's been great. And another area equally as important has been the power play. It has looked night and day compared to how it looked at the end of the, of last year. And I think one guy who we can really thank for that has been John Tavares. He has been, lighting it up on the power play this year he's he's been he's been really good pretty much at uh any any area of generating points.
0: Yeah, absolutely. John Tavares has a huge thing to do with that. I think coaching has finally made an actual change on the power play. It looks a little different. It's not as predictable. Um William Nylander staying on the first power play unit all year has made a difference, but but, yeah, like you said, I think John Tavares has really, really helped that out. Um, whether it's lucky or whether it's just because he's a really skilled hockey player, you know, that's obviously up for debate. Um, but that also brings us kind of into one point that we want to talk about is this John Tavares hot streak. He's obviously putting up the points. But if you do look at it, his um, fancy stats, if you will, compared to the rest of the team, maybe aren't as hot as you'd like from an $11 million forward. So does that leave you with any kind of concern there, stats, Or you think it's just, you know... It is what it is with Tavares.
1: I think there are a few ways we can look at this. Because if you look at it just from a broad number of expected goals, he's still above 50% in terms of expected goals on the year. We know he got off to a really slow start. And part of that I'm sure you can attribute to the injury. But you can't argue with the with the raw, you know, the traditional hockey stats he has. He's leading the team with 22 points in 22 games. He's back to being a point-a-game guy. He's got 10 goals already. And he's just he's looked really good. Like he's just got that, that stick handling in a phone booth style. Like he's just, he's been, he's been excellent. In a lot of, of games. I think he has that Nylander, uh, Kerfoot Tavares line. They really struggled for a few games there. And they their numbers are basically what's dragging Tavares down right now. And in their 80 minutes together, they're only at about 42% expected goals. So I, it's it's hard to say. I think I I feel really good about Tavares. So I'll leave it at that. I think maybe maybe he's not quite a point of game guy right now, but I do feel very confident. Like I said, the expected goals are still above 52% and I think playing on the same team as Austin Matthews, who is one of the top 3 players in terms of generating chances in the league right now, would is kind of skewing cuz it's what what you're referring to is looking at the 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 RAPM bars that kind of rate him relative to his team where he doesn't look that great. But when you're, when you're going up against the numbers of Austin Matthews on the other line, and then you have a third line, like camp, Kasha and Engval generating such a high percentage of expected goals. It kind of skews it. So I'd say, I feel really good about the way he's played.
0: Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Like if we're, if we, if you just look at it and you're like, okay, yeah, this guy's, you know, his fancy numbers are still good. They're just not amazing. Amazing. And then you go, "Oh, just compared to his team, oh, maybe he's not that blah blah blah." And it's like, "Yeah, but like look at like you're going against Austin Matthews. Anytime you're compared to Austin Matthews, and especially, you know, the Austin Matthews of this year, which has been an absolute beast and kind of I don't want to say the opposite of Tavares, but not getting as much puck luck if you will call it as John Tavares, not putting up, you know, kind of the traditional stats. When you say he's not
1: putting up the traditional stats, like you he is still putting up crazy stats. He's got 19 points in 20 games, but with the with the advanced numbers he's putting up he should be putting up those Connor mcdavid video game numbers
0: yeah absolutely like it, it, you know it's one of those things where you just got to dive dive deeper and you find out where guys are playing but you know like kind of we said like i'm not worried about either of them i think both of them are going to bounce back i think um you know like we said to the devaris point it, it just it is what it is at this point it's an aging player um He's going to, you know, maybe slow down a little bit. That's where you hope William Nylander and Alex Gerfoot, it was a little bit actually unfortunate to find out what we did about them, would carry him at this point. But, yeah, exactly what you said. I'm not worried at this point. Um, And, yeah, so that also kind of brings us to our next point because we did just talk about Austin Matthews. But uh, the topic of Austin Matthews' winger, which this year is Michael Bunting and more specifically how he compares to Zachary Hyman because – I know this is a very, very hot, hot, steamy debate in Leafland right now.
1: Yes, and I got to thank my dad because yesterday he gave me my absolute banger of a tweet sitting at 425 likes right now. He was sitting there and he asked me, he's like, Quinn, how many points does Hyman have compared to Bunting? And I said, you know what, dad, I'm going to take a look into that. Sure enough, Michael Bunting, 14 points in 23 games, Zach Hyman. 15 points in 20 games the only difference is that uh michael bunting is doing it for one sixth of the cost as zach hyman and if you look at the advanced numbers of the bunting matthews combo they have been insane both with marner and with uh nylander on that line with with Marner matthews and bunting they're putting up 70.8% 70.8% expected goals in in about 60 minutes together. And then we had talked about it before with, with Nylander and, and Bunting on Matthew's wings. They were putting up 62% expected goals over 100 minutes. So I think we have a pretty large sample of Michael Bunting basically replicating the kind of possession numbers that the Leafs were putting up with Zach Hyman. And maybe he's not quite to the level of Hyman, but when you're getting paid... One sixth as much. He has been an amazing replacement. And he he's making us look so smart for
0: saying <clears throat> why would Sheldon Keith take him out of the top six? Yeah, it, exactly. I, I understand you need to try things, blah blah blah. Nick Richie, you gave two years too. I I don't care. I think I think Sheldon Keith now has realized that Michael Bunting is gonna earn that spot. I'm sure he's looked at the same numbers or at least their internal version of these same numbers that we're looking at. And it's very obvious that Michael Bunting, whether you want to call him as good of a hockey player as Zach Hyman, you can debate that all you want. But at the very least, he has gone into the role that Zach Hyman did last year and performed as well. If not, you know, better purely because of the contracts that both of them are earning. Like if you look at um, Michael Bunting this year, his expected goals um, when he's on the ice is at 60.5. Zach Hyman last year playing with the exact same line mates was at 61%. Like there's no there's no real difference there and even if you wanted to compare them this year like their their numbers their fancy stats are very very similar you know Hyman's a little bit better in you know his expected goal rate compared to his teammates but he also doesn't have as good of teammates as you know the Leafs do especially in their bottom six so I think I think people you know clamoring and missing Zach Hyman I get it he was a fantastic player he was you know your quote-unquote heart and soul um, guy in the team. I don't know what he was doing in the playoffs last year, but that's besides the point. Um, but you cannot argue with me that Michael Bunting is a much worse fit on that line than Zach Hyman because I just I don't see the drop off really anywhere.
1: No, he's a, he's a similar style player. He's he's more of a pest, which I love. He's always getting into it with the other team, but he works hard in the corners. He knows. He knows his limitations. He he gets into those areas that make him dangerous to score. He knows he's not a sniper. He's not looking for open space, you know, high in the, in the circle or anything like that. He gets to the net. He gets, he puts his nose down and he goes there. And we, which was the, the fairest comparison was to comparison, compare him to last year's Hyman. But even if you take this year's Hyman in term of numbers, Hyman's played 150 minutes with McDavid and Poole Jajarvi. They're only at 57% expected goals. So, You you can't just say it's because Bunting is playing with Matthews like like Hyman has played with McDavid and they haven't even done as well as as the Bunting line has done. So I am I am thrilled with the way that he's playing now. Another guy who this kind of ties into a question. I'm just going to read the question from one of our one of our followers. Uh, Tyc basically asked, "What are our very early trade deadline thoughts? A quarter into the season." Are we looking to acquire a forward? Are we looking to acquire a defense? And this kind of takes me into another guy who has performed really well in Alex Kerfoot. He's got 14 points in 23 games. He's looked really good on that Tavares line from a points perspective. But like we mentioned earlier, that line is down at about 42% expected goals. Lebda, do you think it's a time to ride with Alex Kerfoot? Or would you be looking into maybe selling high on him and looking to upgrade at that left wing slot?
0: I don't think there's a wrong answer at this point. Sometimes guys just have really good seasons. Hopefully Alex Kerfoot is doing one. He doesn't hopefully he doesn't cool off. Um, personally, I I think we've said it, you know, almost since last trade deadline. I'm very open to trading Alex Kerfoot because he makes three and a half million dollars. You can get a lot of hockey player at fifty percent retained for three and a half million dollars. Are you gonna have to add some pieces? Absolutely. But the leafs are, you know. <laughs> if they don't win this year, Kyle Dubas doesn't have to worry about any pieces in the future because he's not sticking around to see them. So I don't know how aggressive he'll be, but I would certainly, certainly look on cash cashing in on um, on Alex Kerfoot's uh, a hot streak here because you know, like I said, I don't know if I expect it to happen just because of the way he's been playing and also the line mates he's playing with. But you can sell high on a guy, and you know, maybe maybe last year you had only got a mid round pick, maybe this year you get a, you know one of the first two round picks or equal value or, or whatever you want to call it for Alex Kerfoot. So, you know, I think, I think I'd really start to test the market on him. And then, you know, at the same time, be kicking tires on the, the Thomas hurdles, the Philip Forsbergs, et cetera, of the world that, cause you know, Alex Kerfoot's nice. He slotted it nicely on that line. You know, they have their expected goal struggle. It is what it is, but they're getting lots of, you know, puck luck, if you will, but you add a genuine, genuine, like, Quality, quality hockey player like one of those two, and you know, you just add another dynamic to this team. I think the last part of what you said is what's really critical because we are obviously
1: not looking to just trade him to bid him off and get rid of him. He's a very valuable part of this team right now, both because he can slot into that left wing slot and and not look too bad in the top six as well. If there is an injury like we saw to Tavares last year, he's pretty much the only guy who could slot into center other than maybe William Nylander. So if he was to get dealt, it would only be because we had to. Like if if we could make a move where we are able to get a Philip Forsberg or Thomas Hurdle and they're demanding Kerfoot in return, or if he, you know, they won't take Nick Ritchie's salary, they won't take some of the other, you know, we don't really have much bad money other than maybe he if he really stunk for a while. But if they're not willing to take bad money and they want a nice contract back, Alex Kerfoot at one year where he's only making 2.7 million in real cash after this year, he's, he is becoming a pretty attractive asset. So I I like having him on the team. I want him to stay here, but the only way I'm getting rid of him is if it's, if it's going to give us a bona fide top six winger to put on Tavares's line.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's no reason to just get rid of this guy. Like he's performing well. He's doing well. He's filling a slot. He was very, very good in the playoffs last year with William Nylander. So you know, teams, hockey teams need that insurance. Hopefully, Kyle Dubas, you know, learned that lesson with Tavares going down. That you do need insurance. I think maybe that's part of the reason why we saw, you know, the Jared McCann trade because you know Sheldon Keefe wanted to keep Alex Kerfoot for the for the insurance. I know it was either Hall or McCann, blah 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 blah. But I do think that was part of it. Um. So yeah, like, there's no there's no reason to panic. There's no reason just to bit him off, but this hot streak too, like maybe San Jose doesn't want to bring any contract back. At least, at least with Kerfoot playing this well, you could be like, Hey, Buffalo, just, just take them, take him for a third. You move, flip the assets for San Jose. Whereas if Alex Kerfoot was really struggling then, it, then it might be harder to do something like that. But yeah, like you said, no, no reason to panic and just get rid of him. It's just, you know, it's nice to know that his contract will not get in the way of any trade moving forward.
1: No, I think you can comfortably say that he's he's pretty much worth his salary at this point. Three point five million. You said a third rounder. There might be a team that would pay more if they if they had to. So I, I'm really happy with how he's playing. And if he can carry it on, say say the deal doesn't really present itself for us to to get a top six winger. I'm not shaking in my boots to have Alex Kerfoot on that one.
0: And I think moving on to maybe another guy that we've seen a bit of the fan base, you know, with their pitchforks and torches out ready to ready to, you know, cast them all the way out of town is is uh, Peter Murazik. and more um, broadly the, the goaltending situation for the Leafs as a whole. I know uh, the great wall, if you will, or Joseph Wall has come in. He's played really well. He's played a lot better than certainly you and me thought he would. Um, and that has people really, really jumping the gun and saying that, that we could just bend Mrazik for nothing and just rock with Joseph Wall as their backup goalie, which uh, I don't know about you, Sats, but to me that sounds a little bit dicey.
1: Yeah, I would say that is uh, extraordinarily premature. I mean, he has played excellent. Don't Don't get me wrong because that Islanders game, we kind of talked about how that was a lot of help from his defense, but that San Jose game, he made a lot of big saves in that third period. He looked really good. But I think what we we need to realize is that if we if we make Waller backup one, that is a huge huge risk if Campbell were ever to go down for an extended period or god forbid in the playoffs. But second, if you do that, Michael Hutchinson is your third goalie again. People complain about the Leafs lack of goaltending depth and when we finally have a guy who looks like hey this might be a pretty good third goalie, they want to bin off a guy who's played four periods for us because because he's he's got hurt like if we had that mentality jack campbell would have been gone last year after a couple injuries
0: yeah i i this one just absolutely baffles me i don't know how anyone could really come to this conclusion that we you know oh yeah this guy who's a sub 900 Say percentage guy in the AHL. I'll, I'll repeat that again for anyone who didn't hear it. Sub 900 in the AHL. Granted, he's been very good. Awesome. I'm very thankful that he's come in and, you know, performed well in the NHL. It's good for him personally. It's good for this Leafs team. Awesome. Am I willing to bet anything on that dude going forward? No. Like, we saw Michael Hutchinson last year, what he did. He also came out and stole some really good games. I think a, I think a lot of this has to do with the Leafs defense. But to just up, up and say, yeah, we don't need Peter Mrazek. You know, we don't need any goaltending depth. We're perfectly comfortable with, again, having Michael Hutchinson as our third goalie. And once again, just to repeat, a sub-900 save percentage goalie in the AHL as our backup is absolutely insane. What, even if Mrazek was struggling, you look at his career, up, down, whatever. He's still an NHL-quality goaltender, and he's still a lot better option, even at that price point than Joseph Wall at this point.
1: Yeah, I think unless you have a Vasilevsky, a Hellebuck, a guy like that, and Jack Campbell has played up to those guys' level, but you want to have a guy that you can really rely on as a backup, especially with someone who has had the injury concerns of a Jack Campbell. Now, I'm not, we're not writing off Joseph Wall here, because we have seen a lot of goalies who struggle in the AHL and they come to the NHL and they do better. There's a few reasons for that. Goaltending, one, it's completely random sometimes, so... It could just be all of a sudden a guy flicks a switch. Another reason could be what you mentioned, better defense, not only in the Leafs, but just in the NHL as a whole. A lot of AHL defensemen aren't as good at clearing the net away. So a rebound might be a little bit more costly in the AHL. So it's definitely possible that Joseph Wall could be a reliable backup for us in the near future. But yeah, it's just, it's never worth writing off another goalie over, over three good games by someone else, we've seen. We, look at Dave Riddick. He, I would have thought he was the the love child of Dominic Hasek and Patrick Wah when we watched him play Calgary last year. That guy's not a good goalie. Anybody can have a good three games, and I'm really really happy Wall does, did sorry, but yeah. Let's let's give Peter Mrazek a chance. I want to see Peter Mrazek play at least ten games in a Leaf uniform before I. I ever entertain the idea of trading him like it it is a possible thing that the Leafs could do down the line if maybe they trade Mrazek to get a backup goalie who's making one or two million but uh, that's going to be a tough trade to win and it's it's something that they should not even be close to considering yet you got to give the guy a fair shake
0: yeah, and why would you ever sell so low on a goalie that's played nothing this year? Like you're not you're not going to be able to get anything for Peter Murazik at this point because he hasn't played at all and he's coming off an injury. Like it's just from a from a hockey percent, uh, perspective it makes zero sense from an asset management it makes zero sense. Again, I hope Joseph Wall continues up this play and maybe he does develop into a great backup for the Leafs. I'll be happier or as happy as anyone. But also, like, exactly what you said. Give Mirazik a chance. If he absolutely sucks this year, maybe we entertain something in the summer. But again, goalies are voodoo. He could suck this year and come out and put up a 980 next year. Like, you never know. So, I think for this Leafs (laughs) Leafs fan base, just to write people off so quickly is just absolutely ridiculous.
1: And one crucial point that I want to really give the Leafs credit for, though, is playing Joseph Wall in that San Jose game. They... We have been asking for it. Don't play Jack Campbell on every game. That's not a back-to-back. And it's been nice to see the Leafs kind of realizing, Hey, we're a really good team. Sure. We're fighting for a division, but we have confidence in our team. Let's get like, let's take the longer term view of getting our goalie some rest, making sure Jack stays healthy. Um, They've kind of, seems like that kind of been playing that role a little bit with Andre Kasha a little bit as well. He hasn't played the last couple games. Hopefully it's nothing concussion related. And, I gotta say, one guy who we've talked a lot about, maybe getting some rest, who certainly deserves some praise for his play this year, is the choo choo the Wayne train.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think this is one where for sure myself uh, needs to stand up and say I, I was wrong. Like me too. I'm sorry, Wayne. I'm sorry for ever doubting you, buddy. Um, he's been awesome. Like there, there's nothing else to say about it. Like I didn't like the signing in the summer. I thought it, you know, it would age like milk, but. Wayne's coming out. He looks fired up this season. He's performing absolutely, you know, above anything expected of him. uh, Sitting at about 57% expected goals, which is fifth on the team. Eight points in 22 games on that fourth line with Jason Spezza. And honestly, you literally can't ask anything more of Wayne Simmons because he's just, you know, like I said, he's um, surpassing all expectations of himself this year.
1: And and what did you and I say? Like, I know we... For sure, we have to bite the bullet on being wrong about Simmons because I was right there with you. I did not think he was an NHL caliber player. I I didn't mind the deal in a vacuum given that it was easily variable, but I saw what they did last year with, with him and Thorntons and, and they continued to play them even though they weren't really NHL caliber players. But one area where we were right was recently when everybody was whining and complaining about the lack of scoring in the bottom six. You and I said... That Spezza-Simmons pairing is generating a lot of chances, but they're just not going in. And we've seen Simmons, he's up to three goals now. He's got, like you said, eight points. You got Kasha with eight points in the bottom six. David Camp is even contributing with seven points. Engvall is up to seven points. Like The bounces are finally coming like we said they would. And it's funny, when Camp scores a goal, people are like, yeah, well, that was just a shitty goal. It wasn't like... When you get near in the other team's end that often, you're giving yourself the opportunity to get lucky. And that's what the Leafs have done time and time again this year in the bottom six. And that's a big reason why I am buying in more to this team. And I think that's an area where you can undoubtedly say they have improved this year. Sure, they lost Zach Hyman on the top line. They replaced him with bunting. You can argue about whether that's a, a decline at all. But there's no debating that our third and fourth lines are eons better this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's And and it's so very noticeable that their eons better. And just the roles that they play, it's just so much more helpful to this team than what they were last year. Especially that, you know, again, we talk about it all the time, but that third line is just so difficult to play against. They can play against any line in the league, and I'm very confident about having them out there against any line in the league. It might not, you know... And be the most flashy or the most pretty thing. But they're going to get a job done more times than they're not. And and that's huge, huge, huge for this Leafs team. We saw it, you know, in the playoffs. And we've even seen it before they played the Montreal series. But Austin Matthews' line has had that kind of um, reputation or, or, or that demon about them where they can get shut down by a really good line, whether it's the Bergeron line or whether it was that, like, Philip Deneau uh, defensive line against Montreal. Like, they shut them down. And the Leafs just didn't have an option to to really, you know, get Austin Matthews away from that type of matchup because they needed it in you know a a, a defensive you know kind of kind of situation because the the bottom six couldn't handle those tough minutes against those lines because they would have just got raked over the coals. But now that they have this option on the third line, I, I you know, again, I'm not going to say anything about the playoffs, but it, it should help them going forward in the playoffs. This
1: everything we've seen since that seventh game of the year has pretty much given what any rational fan base would think is a clear sign that they're going to succeed in the playoffs. But we've been, we've just been struck too many times, but they like this team has pretty much done everything they can to give me confidence going into the playoffs. And I think we said it on the, on the preseason podcast, if they win one, all of least nation is going to be a board member.
0: Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's time to answer uh, another um, Twitter question here. This one's from Ryan Pilon. Um, it says, will the Maple Leafs be the Canadian team with the most players on its roster sent to the Olympics? Question mark. If not, which team will be? Now, no offense to Ryan here, but we're going to change this question a little bit because we're just way too lazy to do any research about the boring, boring, boring Canadian teams. Um, so we're just going to focus on the Leafs and who we think from the Leafs is going to actually make uh, – Make this Olympic roster, so I know, Sats, you got some uh, some research done here, so I'll just pass that off to you.
1: So, if we're looking at Canada, I think Marner, even though he's off to a slow start, you got to consider him a lock. You think he's a lock, Lebda?
0: I think he's a lock.
1: I think he's a lock. Tavares, playing point of game, an experienced guy, uh, I think he's, if he can continue this, I think he's going to get a, a real solid look, and... Tavares was
0: also more... in that one commercial with Team Canada, too, so you know, not reading too much into marketing, but if you're marketing a player for team Canada, you got to assume that he's, you know, maybe not a lock, but he's certainly a very strong, strong candidate for that team.
1: Yeah. Ty goes to the guy wearing the long red coat. So we'll think he can make it. And then Morgan Riley, like personally, if I'm making team Canada, Morgan Riley is not on the team, but I do think he's got a good shot. So I'm putting that at three. I'll be, I'll be uh, a little bit, aggressive with that number now maybe maybe y'all i'll be a little conservative with a number with another country but we'll mm-hmm. say three for canada usa you got matthews and campbell i think that one's pretty obvious for matthews and, and campbell what do
0: you think Do you think he's making it see this is the one where like i think you were optimistic on the riley i think i'm gonna be the opposite on jack campbell i just think i just don't think he's gonna make it he absolutely should but I I think they're just, like, Team USA is just going to be stupid and go for go for name over performance.
1: It's, it's possible. I think if he's still leading the league in save percentage, he's going to be there. Um, I think they'd be stupid not to. And I think you've kind of heard some buzz from the media about it and Campbell even acknowledged that in one of his things. I'm going to say I think he makes it. So that's putting it at five Olympians for me. You're at four right now. So if we go to Sweden, we have William Nylander. Absolute solidified lock what about Pierre Engvall do you think he's got any chance
0: I don't to to be honest he he probably should like he's (laughs) he's been an absolute beast this year I know he can't put the puck in the back of the net but he's been great this year so he could be one of those guys where you know Sweden's just not quite as deep as the USA and Canada maybe he sneaks into you know that last forward roll and they use him in a heavy penalty kill or you know something like that and you know We've seen him excel in that kind of role. So, if I was let, a me, bat- let
1: me go through his uh, his competition right now. So mm-hmm. we won't even look at the first three lines because he's he's not going to be on any of those. The fourth line they have this this projection has Raquel and Elias Lindholm. I think those guys both safely make it over him. Oh, and Lucas Raymond is squeaking on there too. But they would have they would have two more forwards. The last two on this roster are Jacob Silverberg and Victor Olsson. I think. If I think Olafson makes to, it. Yeah, I think maybe over Silverberg would be his one. But I think this is the one where we definitely uh make up for that Morgan Riley one and we say he's not making the team. Yeah,
0: I uh, yeah. I like like I said, it I was about to finish like if I was a betting man, I would never put money on him making it. It'd be kind of cool for for him and for Lee fans to watch Pierre Angball in Sweden, but yeah, I'm not putting a dime on that.
1: See him, see him just circle back into his own end and waste time against uh, probably killing time against Austin Matthews when he plays the states. Love this now team. the the last few would be from the Czech Republic. We got Kasha. I think if he's healthy, he's wow. got to be on that team. Yeah, David Camp. I would assume he's going to make the team too. I don't. I don't imagine they have many many centers better than him. And then if Peter Mrazek's healthy, I think that's three players you're going to have on the Czech Republic.
0: Yeah, I think I think the only reason those three don't make it would be injuries. So, I th- I think you could almost chalk that up to locks too.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm looking at I'm looking at Sweet uh their roster right now. Like they're Jan Jenik, never even heard of him to be honest. Radek Foxa. So like I think I think you could say Camp ha- has made a case to be be above those guys and you look at the competition in that the, he's got Frank Hughes and Riddick and Morazic as their three. So you can, you can write his name on a tablet, like the 10 commandments, as long as Riddick is is healthy, he's going to be there. And I mean, maybe, maybe with a lot of rest he's had to start the year, maybe it wouldn't be too bad to kind of, once he gets going here for the Leafs, keep him going into the Olympics. So that's three for team Canada, two for team USA on my end, one for you, one for team Sweden and three for the Czech Republic. So that leaves me, Oh, I hate math. That leaves me with six, nine guys, and you with eight. So, I'm gonna guess that I don't know. Maybe like I don't, I don't see any other Canadian teams without doing a look. I, I unless they they have a bunch of like players that play for like Denmark and Latvia, players that aren't actually very good that would make a team. I don't see any teams uh, really, really threatening that number from the Leafs. And one team who I can say with definitive certainty will not have. Probably any Olympians is the lowly Montreal Canadiens, our our old foe. They uh, they did what they should have done a long time ago, and they got rid of that horrible human being, Mark Bergevin. Now, normally, you know, I I I say uh, you, you never want to see somebody get fired. It's it's sports, you know, he, they're not good at their job, but you don't want to see somebody get fired. But for this one, I say load up the cannon and fire him over the ocean because you just love to see it.
0: Uh, you love. Nothing more satisfying than than the pieces of shit in the hockey world, you know, getting what they deserve. Unfortunately for Bergevin, he only got what he deserved because he's a terrible GM. But, you know, like I said, it's another scumbag out of the league. It's another guy who, you know, his chance to, you know, hurt someone else's hockey career or, or, or affect even, you know, not even the hockey staff in, a, in, a, in an organization's life in a negative way. You know, so it is a good thing. Um, You know, it is the Montreal Canadian, so having a terrible GM in charge was very fun and very laughable but um you know the guy they hired he's he is what it is we'll kind of you know take a look and and break it down for you guys here but i don't know are you uh are you convinced old mr uh nascar racer himself is a better gm than uh than mark Bergman at this point
1: Old Jeff Gordon, um, I would say I'm fairly certain he's better than Bergevin, but not to his credit, just because Bergevin was bad. I know, I know. Everybody who's not a Leaf fan, for whatever reason, you've made it this far in a Leafs podcast. God bless you, but you're going to say, well, they just beat you last year. Yes, we've gone over that a thousand times. They're a garbage team now. They weren't that good last year. We've been through that. So, yes, he's made one cup final with a horseshoe up his ass. But if you look at the team he inherited in 2012, he had a young Carey Price, a young P.K. Subban, Pacioretty, Gallagher, all of these guys young, and he, he never really won much. The only time they got far was because Carey Price dragged them there. So I do think Gorton will be an upgrade, but I think a lot of people are really overstating the level to which he was so good with the Rangers. Like if you just look at his numbers, he came there in 2015, he inherited a playoff team, the first two years they made the second round of the, or they made the second round one year, they made the first round one year and they just, he was there for six years and they never did anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for me, this is a kind of a, kind of a tough one to evaluate too, because you know, on paper there's some really nice moves or trades or drafts or whatever you want to call them. But a lot of this stuff he just walked into. Like if you look at, you're like, yeah, he made a deal for Adam Fox, but I mean, that's just playing in New York. Same with the Artemi Panarin. Panarin didn't want to go anywhere else other than New York. So, I mean, that makes your job easy when two guys that good just, you know, fall into your lap just because of the team you play for. Um, some good moves. Ryan Strome for Spooner, Jed for Broussard. Um, You know, like, those are nice trades. Uh, and then I guess moving on to, like, his, you know, only, you know, one that's concretely a really good uh, draft pick is uh, Philip Hedel at 21st overall. Like, that's that's good. That's nice value. But also, if you look at it, like, you know, I've seen a bunch of all fans go, oh, this guy's, you know, a draft god, and he's amazing. And look at all the guys he got. But there's a lot of really questionable, questionable draft picks. And, I mean, maybe this isn't all his fault, but he's still, you know, one of the head uh, – or most influential positions in an organization. Look at the guys that they drafted Lafreniere, Capocacco, Elias Anderson, uh, Vitelli Kratsov, like all those guys, lots and lots. of All top 10 picks. All top 10 picks. And they all look like busts at some point or at, at this point, like you gotta, you gotta keep that in mind too. And especially an organization like Montreal, who's uh, done a very good job at ruining their own top picks in, uh, in recent years, like, that's gotta, you know, put up some red flags for you, because I mean, that's that's too many guys, and that's too much talent, and too many high picks for it for it just to be, you know, you know, uh, like bad drafting or or bad bad this. Like clearly, there's something going on in that organization that you know maybe he doesn't have a part of, but again, in a very prominent role, it's his job to kind of fix that too. So, yeah.
1: And he, he's kind of hard to evaluate because it's always hard to evaluate a guy when they're an assistant. So he got hired by the Rangers in 2007, became the general manager in 2015. So if you look, like New York had some decent drafts in, in the past where they drafted Stepan, they drafted Kreider with their first round pick. Like nothing really special, to be honest. Like JT Miller's in there. That's a nice pick. Brady Shea's okay. Butchnevich. Like they made some nice picks. I wouldn't call them anything above average, though. But then you look at the 2015 through 2020, 2015, the most games they got was nine from one guy. 2016, the most games they got was eight from one guy. 2017, you mentioned that Philip Heedle pick, but seventh overall was Lias Anderson and nobody else has contributed yet. Like they have, I don't, I, I would not be walking in with a ton of confidence in him. Let's put it that way. I like, he could, he could be a good GM, but he's certainly not like a scenario where Detroit gets, and you're like, okay, you know that they're they're turning things up. They're going to turn into a contender. It wouldn't surprise me if if Gorton just continued to drive them into the ground, especially when you consider where he's starting off. Like, outside of Nick Suzuki, who, to, honestly, he's at like a 50-point pace again as an $8 million player. He might not even be that great of a contract. They don't really have a ton on their roster. So I think it's going to be a long, long time before we're ever concerned about that garbage team again. Yeah,
0: exactly. And having a new GM come in, it's like it can go one way or the other. Maybe they bring him in to, to, you know, start the rebuild and and tear things down. But maybe they're like, hey, we we just made a conference finals last year and this GM, you know, didn't do anything. So we're going to push you and you better get us, you know, into that level. And maybe he, you know, sells a bit of their future for just some stupid, stupid trades. And he could completely blow it up and, you know. I imagine it's going to be kind of the, the first scenario where they hired him to be in charge of a rebuild, but yeah, you know, you, you no, know. I, I
1: definitely think so, especially cause he, but you look at him in New York, they had that whole, remember they wrote the letter to the fans a few years ago and they said, Hey, we're rebuilding. This is going to be long and painful. And then like one year they're out signing Panera and doing these things. So yeah. you could see a kind of similar heel turn in Montreal where they, you know, they play it patient, they get their top five pick this year. And then all of a sudden they think, Oh, we're ready to contend. It's going to be harder for them because you have the horrible Gallagher contract, the tragic Anderson contract, the putrid Petrie contract, Price's absolute albatross. Like he has got a long road ahead of him. I don't think we see them actually try to make a a real move towards winning in the present for at least two years.
0: Yeah. If that, like they're, like you said, they're an absolute tire fire and, I am 100% along for the ride, and I'm enjoying every second of that scumbag, disgusting franchise being this terrible.
1: And one more one more funny thing is they just they just love to dig their own graves with this whole stupid francophone thing. Like, I get that they're going to have Gordon. He's basically the GM, and, and whoever they hire as the GM is basically just going to be his assistant GM slash media puppet because he's going to be a French guy, but still, they just... They can't just go for the best guy. Like they, they're like, no, we need him to speak French. And one funny tweet I saw was from Nick Katsanica about it. He's he's saying to understand the importance of a bilingual GM in Montreal, listen to Molson's press conference as an anglophone. It's frustrating not to understand most of what is being said. Imagine being a francophone fan of the Canadians and not being able to understand the GM. Now, Lebda, I don't know about you, but I would pretty much put up with my GM speaking Latin, speaking in tongues, speaking Chinese. I wouldn't care what he spoke as long as he wins. And especially I would hold my media of my town to the, to the standard of at least, you know, maybe, I don't know, using Google translate to tell me like, is it that hard?
0: Yeah. I, I it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we're not trying to shit on the French and we're not trying to shit on the French language and it's nothing like that. But like, If you're a fan of a hockey team, like at least to me, like winning takes over. And if if a guy who only can speak English is going to make my team, you know, the best the best it can be, and he's going to do the best job, then I'm all for that. And then you get you know, you hire someone as a team to translate for him, or you know, this stuff like that. I just think it's it's one of those things where I, I. I think too the media is probably just being a little bit lazy. They don't want to translate everything for uh, for a GM too. So I don't know. It, it's one of those just situations where it's you know Montreal specific and it is what it is. But yeah, I would uh, I personally would much uh, much rather see success on the ice than uh, than stick to you know some some old traditions.
1: Like, what is it harder to do? Learn a language that millions and maybe a billion, I don't know how many, but learn a language that a bajillion people can speak, or is it harder to run a franchise? I would rather have the guy who's good at running a franchise and worry about the language later. Like, get the guy on Rosetta Stone, and he can can say hello and goodbye within a couple days.
0: And uh, for those uh, Francophones listening, uh, en parlant de revoir ton équipe, c'est de la merde.
1: Now, for those of you who aren't uh, cultured in French, en parlant de voir ton équipe c'est de la merde is uh, Google Translates translation of speaking of goodbyes, your team is shit. And couldn't have put it better myself, Lebda. And yeah, we really should say goodbye. It's been a great, great time chatting Leafs with you, you know, ripping on the halves back to life is getting good again. And life is getting good on the Buds All Day podcast. You can expect weekly podcasts from me and Lebda while he's still uh, heavy duty on his work life, but we will be doing, uh, myself and a special guest will be doing post games still Wednesday. We got one coming up. So keep your eyes peeled for that. lebda you got anything else you want to say in French?
0: <laughs> no, my, uh, my years of French class have clearly, uh, not stuck with me but yeah thank you very much guys for listening thanks sats for always being a you know a great pod partner and um like he said make sure you guys keep out lots of exciting guests stuff like that coming up always the weekly stuff with me so if you know you get you get missing my voice during uh during the week just know you got mondays to look forward to um make sure you follow us on twitter at buds all day cast keep up to date with everything in leafland and everything um the buds all day podcast and thank you guys very much for listening au revoir